Good morning, everybody. This is another edition of the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPLA.com as well as St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey. Lots of stuff we're going to get into today in the world of baseball, sports, and unified America. Just a reminder, if you're interested, please give the show a call. Number is 732-364-3598. You can also comment on the Facebook Live or Periscope feed if you saw the little teaser in regards to some of the topics we're going to hit up today. We're going to talk a little baseball in a little bit. Not your conventional Bryce Harper, Manny Machado talk, but a couple valid points that I really feel that need to be made as we get closer to the signing of these two players. And I think this is something that you're going to see that's very imminent, uh, probably not before the end of the new year which I think is something that does have to be acknowledged probably after the new year. Obviously, you know the quote-unquote finalists that exist in the market for Machado and Bryce Harper will probably be pretty close to right behind him. So those are those are things that will have to be considered. I'll give some thoughts on that in a little bit. Obviously, you got the last week of the NFL games, week number 17. So there's things that we're going to talk about because I'm going to do my NFL picks for week 17, but also... I'm going to conclude my first regular season of active sports betting. And I do think that's an issue that does have to be brought up and discussed. People can do very well when it comes to gambling. They can do it in moderation. But, you know, it is a very serious thing. And people can get caught up in it and get themselves to a point where they're a little bit over their head, maybe gambling with money that they don't necessarily have. So I do think those are all important points that need to be brought up. We're going to talk a little bit about confrontation later, but let's get the show rolling. Uh, First thing I wanted to talk about has to do with the NFL. And you hear a lot of people as as the NFL New York Giants are getting ready to finish their season. And obviously one that has not gone their way. The expectations have been pretty high. Um, There's been thoughts or, you know, with the drafting of Saquon Barkley and even Will Hernandez being drafted, the offensive guard in the second round, the expectations were the Giants were going to do a lot better this year. You can look at the New York Jets. They drafted their quarterback of the future, and maybe there is a little bit more optimism that exists amongst the fan base of the New York Jets as they get ready to finish their season, which similarly has not gone the way that it would have been expected. They went 5-11 and last year or you know, or probably in that same spot, a similar spot this year. It didn't really take many strides, really outside the quarterback. Now, you look at Sam Darnold, the young quarterback out of USC, certainly looks like the guy that's going to be under center for the next several years. And I do think that's important to bring up because, you know, it doesn't seem like the New York Giants have that same quarterback. And I think the easiest thing to say when it comes to this discussion Take whoever is the younger player that you have, whether it's your second-string quarterback or your third-string quarterback, and just play. And this is where I think a lot of people are getting, getting it wrong. It's easy to say that because the unknown is always something that you have to embrace and say, hey, because it's unknown, there's a chance that maybe, in this case, when you're talking about the New York football giants, Kyle Laletta might be the next Peyton Manning or might be the next Andrew Luck or could be the next Kurt Warner, depending on the way you want to look at it, the way you're evaluating quarterbacks and talking about how they were hyped or not hyped and end up becoming a legitimate 
starter down the road. And the easiest thing to say, and you hear this a lot from people in the beat, a lot of people in the media, a lot of fans say that if you haven't seen this guy play, how do you know what they could be capable of? How do you know what they could produce on the football field unless you see it with your own eyes? And I want to throw two names out there for different reasons, but are going to back the point that I'm trying to make here. Christian Hackenberg was a very high draft pick of the New York Jets a handful of years ago. Christian Hackenberg, based off of where he was taken in the draft, you would figure at some point the New York Jets would put him on the football field and let him guide the offense of the New York Jets. And it never happened. And it didn't not happen because of negligence. It didn't not happen because the Jets, as a lot of fans will say, and a lot of people that criticize the Jets in the media would say, it's not that they were out of touch. You got a similar situation last year with the New York Giants and Davis Webb. Davis Webb, very high draft pick. Eli Manning in a season that was ridiculously underperforming. It was a terrible year. No way anybody thought the New York Giants would have gone 3-13 and last season. Eli Manning, for the first time in his career, was benched, ending his consecutive game streak. And I understand a lot of people were pissed off because Geno Smith got the start and not Davis Webb. Now, Davis Webb did not get on the football field. Neither did Christian Hackenberg. And here's why I'm going to tell you that perhaps Kyle Aletta should not be on the football field either. There is nobody that understands what they got when it comes to a player and when it comes to the NFL, more importantly, a quarterback, than the team that happens to employ him. In fact, if Kyle Loretta, as we hit the opening point of the Passball Show today, just a reminder, brought to you by JohnPLA.com, as well as St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey. And just a reminder for me to tell you that after the new year, we're going to be welcoming in a new sponsor to the show. So, Kyle Loretta. Davis Webb, Christian Hackenberg. There's nobody that understood what those quarterbacks could do, what they've shown over the course of the season, what their impact on preseason games were, and most importantly, what type of quarterback they were in practice. Because these quarterbacks are all running the scout team, they're all preparing the Giants and the Jets respectively for their next week's game. And there's a chance that they're not getting the job done. There's a chance that the Giants and the Jets in these respective situations are looking at these quarterbacks and saying, well, you know what? We're not getting a lot out of them. I'm not really impressed with what it is that I'm seeing. So if I'm not impressed with what it is that we're seeing in practice, then how am I going to be confident enough to want to see what this player can do on the football field in front of however many fans are at the stadium or watching on TV. Now, these same fans that are at the stadium and watching on TV want to see what these quarterbacks can do because it's the unknown. And you've heard it said many times, the most popular player on an NFL football team is the backup quarterback. You know why? Because the backup quarterback never plays. And usually, when the backup quarterback plays, they get exposed 
and all that, you know, that honeymoon stage where you think this guy is so great goes right down the waysides and into the toilet. I'm trusting the New York Giants, and you may be, as a, if you're a Giants fan, you may not want to trust the New York Giants. You may want to see everything they did. They brought in a new coach. They brought in a new general manager. And if they're lucky, maybe they could win their sixth game this Sunday against the Dallas Cowboys. If not, then they're going to finish 5-11, and which is not much of an improvement from the 3-13 and season of last year. Like I said, if you're a Giants fan, you got the right to be upset. But this has to be mentioned. The, the fact that you're just going to put a quarterback out there just to see him doesn't mean he's going to be any good. Doesn't mean the New York Giants think he's any good. Because look at what happened last year. You, they, the Giants released Davis Webb after training camp. If Davis Webb was so good, he'd be starting for somebody in the NFL. He'd be on a team that would give him a progressive path to be a starting quarterback in the National Football League. That hasn't happened. Christian Hackenberg, for a couple of years, Jets fans were going crazy. Why don't you put this guy in a game? You drafted him with such a high draft pick. If this guy was so good, he'd be on an NFL roster right now. He he not he wouldn't be getting the you know, whatever the Alliance of American Football, almost like the minor leagues of the National Football League, the de developmental leagues. I mean, this guy can't even make a practice squad. So why would I, if I was a New York Jets fan, want to see this guy on the field to see what he could do? Sometimes you have to trust the respective organizations and the teams that these guys play for. And if the Giants, in this case, when it comes to Kyle Laletta, don't think that he is ready or good enough to help the New York Giants or can help the New York Giants in a way that can impact their decision as far as who's going to be their quarterback for next year, then I trust the Giants not playing them. And if Eli Manning ends up playing all four quarters in a game, whether it's close or lopsided or whatever, I'm trusting that the Giants know what they have in Kyle Oletta. Enough to a point where I know that I don't need to see him. And you as a Giants fan, or you as a person that covers the Giants on a beat for the media, don't need to see him either. Because the Giants have seen everything they needed to see. Like I said, it's easy to compare Loletta to Davis Webb and Christian Hackenberg in this instance. If the Giants aren't impressed... And remember, obviously, the guy had a, an arrest. He had some kind of problems, either getting to practice or driving and weehawking. So there's off-the-field issues. But most importantly, if he has not gotten himself to a point where the Giants are wowed enough with him in practice to say, hey, maybe I do want to see what this guy could do on the football field, then I trust that the Giants are probably going to move on for Kyle Oletta, or at the very least, going to want to see him sit another year where maybe he could develop and get a little bit better. This copyright and broadcast is authorized under internet rights granted by the World Wide Web and is solely for the entertainment of our audience. Any publication, reproduction, or other use of the pictures, descriptions, and accounts of this show without the express written consent of the Passball Show, JohnPielli.com, and JohnPielli LLC is prohibited. Any commercial or other use of the program, such as by charging admission for its showing, is similarly prohibited. So I wanted to get into a little baseball talk because I think this is going to be the last show that we're going to be able to talk about the free agency of Manny Machado and maybe even the free agency of Bryce Harper. I do feel that Harper's market is not necessarily as pronounced as Machado's is. And because of that, 
there, there may be a little more time before Machado ends up coming to an agreement and signing on a dotted line with the next team that he's going to play for. You've heard reported that Manny Machado went out there, visited the White Sox, he visited the New York Yankees, and he visited the Philadelphia Phillies. The Phillies expected to spend stupid money. The Yankees being the team that Machado quote-unquote wants to play for. And you heard me last week talk about that Yankee discount. And obviously Brian Cashman, one of the more shrewd negotiators that are out there when it comes to uh, you know, really general managers in all professional sports. And I give him credit because I do believe he is able to negotiate to a point where he's able to sell you know, that proverbial catcher popsicle to a woman in white gloves. That potential air conditioning unit to a, a person living in an igloo in Alaska. And if he's able to get away with it, good for him. I can't even be mad at him for what he's able to do. He's got Sonny Gray, who is a pitcher that obviously has failed as a New York Yankee. His goal is to sell another team that this guy could be a legitimate ace and maybe get a good package of players in return. That hasn't worked up to this point, so I think that'll be a big challenge. The other challenge is going to be to convince Manny Machado that you want to play for the Yankees that badly that you're willing to cons- to take in a contract a considerable amount of dollars less than what you're actually worth. And that's something that I don't believe any player should do. I do believe if the the value of the contract are close enough, it's okay to take a little less. It's okay to take maybe a year less for around the same amount of dollars annually per year. But if we're talking about the extreme, which we may be here, we may be talking about a 10-year contract offer from the Chicago White Sox. We may be talking about an eight-year contract offer from the Philadelphia Phillies. And we may be talking about a five-year contract offer when it comes to the New York Yankees. And I think if that's the case, Manny Machado is going to have to decide whether he wants to be a Yankee that bad that he's willing to take half of the contract that he could get from the Chicago White Sox and a certainly extremely lucrative deal that he could get from the Philadelphia Phillies. Now, obviously, depending on where you feel or where your position is on the spectrum, if you're a Yankees fan, you say, hey, you know, being a Yankee is that much more. You can have a chance to win a World Series championship. You could be along the likes of the Jeters, the A-Rods, going back, obviously, in years to the, the Reggie Jacksons, the Mickey Mantles, the Yogi Barras, the Lou Gehrig's, the Joe DiMaggio's, the Babe Ruth's, etc., etc., etc. And there probably isn't very many things in professional sports that can compare to that feeling, to be amongst those type of players. The Yankees, as an organization, not only have the history and success, but they also have those names that are so synonymous with the game that I do believe a young player today could get caught up in wanting to be part of. If you're that talented, like Manny Machado is, why would you not want to showcase your talents in the city of New York playing for the legendary New York Yankees franchise and potentially, when it's all said and done, go along the likes of those names that I just mentioned. I think that's valid, but it only comes at a certain price. And the question is going to be, are the New York Yankees going to say that we think this guy wants to be a Yankee that much? We're going to try to rip him off. Because that would be a very terrible business decision, not just for Manny Machado and his agent, 
but for Major League Baseball, its players, and all the agents that represent players going forward. Because you don't want to see a player like that go to a team for a discount. You've seen it happen many times in the history of the New York Yankees franchise. Now remember, I mean, obviously a lot of this happened before most of us were born. But there was a time when the Yankees rose to prominence in the 1930s, particularly in the years of 1936 through 1939, when they became the first team in Major League Baseball history to win four straight World Series championships. A decade or so later, when they became the first team in all of Major League Baseball history to win five straight Major League Baseball World Series championships. People wanted to be a Yankee. The likes of that star athlete coming up looked at baseball and said it was synonymous with being a member of the New York Yankees. And in the day where you could sign or take whatever player you want, there was no draft involved. There really wasn't a high stakes in regards to bidding wars when it came to throwing the most money out against certain players. You know, I remember Rick Reichert was, you know, the last, the last player to get that significant bonus. But you saw that rising over a series of years, but going back in the 30s and the 40s and the 50s, that was not as prevalent. And I do think, and I look back at this, the Yankees had themselves an advantage. Part of the reason the Yankees were able to have that, whatever, two decades, from almost two decades, from 1947 to 1964, where they were in the World Series almost every year and nearly winning it every single year, was because every young player that came up wanted to be a Yankee. And the Yankees pretty much had the picking and choosing of whatever of the best young players, whether they were coming out of high school, whether they were coming out of college, whether they were coming from anywhere. Everybody wanted to be a Yankee, and the Yankees took advantage of that. And the days of free agency certainly coincided with the reign of George Steinbrenner. And George Steinbrenner was not afraid to spend as much money as it would take to bring in the best players in regards to Major League Baseball. He was outspending everybody. Because of that, the Yankees stayed successful. They, they didn't dominate the decade of the 80s, though they had a lot of wins. They had a lot of second-place finishes. They only made the playoffs one year. It was disappointing. But in the end, they ended up spending the most money to try to get the best players. The Yankees have the advantage now because of the mystique. The mystique of the New York Yankees. And we talk about how much it means to be a New York Yankee. And I'll tell you, this will be very bad for baseball if the New York Yankees end up signing Manny Machado for considerably less than market value. And I think in the end, he's got to make the best decision for himself and if he's leaving $150 million in five years on the table to sign a deal with the New York Yankees, it's not good for the sport. If the Yankees come to some sort of middle ground and give him an eight-year contract, pay him very well, then I think you would get the player for what he's worth. Sliding over to Bryce Harper, and this is something that I've thought about too, and when it comes down to it, I really do feel the Yankees are always in a mix when it comes to a big player. Uh, I don't look at them, and I think maybe for some reason they don't sign Machado. Maybe they turn their attention to Bryce Harper. You look at their outfield with Aaron Judge, and I still consider Giancarlo Stanton an outfielder. You may not. But Aaron Hicks is there. Brett Gardner's there. Clint Frazier's there. 
There's this guy by the name of Jacoby Ellsbury, who the Yankees are still paying to be part of their team. So if a situation came up where the Yankees could and needed to sign Bryce Harper, I think they would. If they negotiate with Manny Machado, he decides to go to the Phillies because they're paying him more money and the Yankees don't want to come to the table to give him the type of contract that he feels he deserves, I think they'll shift their attention to Bryce Harper. Bryce Harper, to me, likely seems headed to the Philadelphia Phillies. Be a good match for them, for him. You've heard the talk about both Machado and Harper, and I don't know how true it is. Maybe both of these players are not enamored with the city of brotherly love. It's possible. In the end, the only thing that's going to change that is money. Money's going to talk. Money's going to make a big deal when it comes down to whether these guys sign with the Phillies. Now, they're not going to have to overpay, but they're going to pay them what they're worth. And if in the end, the Philadelphia Phillies are offering one or both of these players that type of contract that they're looking for, there's a good likelihood that they will end up signing with the Phillies. So that's one thing I'm going to dismiss right away. This thought that neither one of these players want to play in Philadelphia with the Phillies. If it comes down to it in years, if it comes down to it in contract dollars, average annual value, total dollar amount, if the Philadelphia Phillies are at the head of the class, I think there's just as much of a chance that either one of these players will be playing in Philadelphia. Last thing I wanted to discuss. There's some speculation going back maybe to the beginning of the offseason. Certainly is not a big deal right now. It's not part of the fodder. It's not part of the discussion. Nobody's discussing this at the very moment in regards to this even being a possibility. And that's Bryce Harper signing with the New York Mets. Maybe when the offseason started, Brody Van Wagenen, as he took over as the general manager of the Mets, could have possibly put some sort of plan together to get Bryce Harper. Unfortunately, and even hearing his comments a couple weeks ago to say, hey, a play for a player like that would need a lot of different other things to be worked out. The only scenario that I could have seen made sense is if maybe instead of acquiring Robinson Cano, the Mets found a way to shed the contracts of Jay Bruce and Anthony Swarzak without picking up Cano and maybe freeing up that dollar amount to throw at Bryce Harper. The fact that that didn't happen, the fact that the Mets have committed themselves to paying Robinson Cano $20 million over the next five years means under no circumstances and no, there's no chance that Bryce Harper is going to sign with the New York Mets. And you know what? The Mets don't owe you anything as a fan. They have a right to put the best team on the field. They should do that for you. But in the end, you have the right to buy season tickets or single-game tickets or support the team in any way, shape, or form that you choose. And if Bryce Harper not signing with the New York Mets is as much, is as much of a slap in the face as you consider it, and you could turn your allegiance elsewhere. You don't have to invest the money in going to games. You don't have to invest the money and the heart and everything, the passion behind it, in being a fan and wanting to see this team do well. But the last thing the Mets have to do is give you an apology for not signing Bryce Harper. Now, looking at the offseason, do I think up to this point, with the additions of Robinson Cano and Edwin Diaz and Jairus Familia and Wilson Ramos... Do I think that this is a top-of-the-league team? Do I think this is a team that is good enough 
to win the division in the National League East right now as constructed, I think it could compete. But I think it's still a little ways away. I look at the likes of A.J. Pollock and even on a lesser extent, Adam Jones and Melky Cabrera. And I think the Mets need to add a couple more pieces to solidify their lineup and also to solidify their bullpen. And there was one proposal that I was thinking about, and I do want to get it, and I'll put it out on Twitter probably to get laughed at, but I do think if you're looking for a pure center fielder, why not go after one of the best young talents in the game, one of the best young talents that has not necessarily kicked his game in the highest gear yet. And I'm headed over towards Minnesota, and I'm talking about Byron Buxton. Byron Buxton, the number two overall pick behind Carlos Correa, was it 2012, with the Houston, uh, you know, the Houston Astros going to the Twins with the second overall pick, would be a very good player to take a shot on. Now, if you're a Mets fan, you say, hey, you know, the history of being a Mets fan shows that every player that comes to the New York Mets isn't any good. And Byron Buxton's coming off of a season where he was injured last year. He only played in a handful of games. But in 2017, looked like he was on his way. So how would you go out there and make a trade for a player like this? Now, also, you have to factor in, would the Minnesota Twins be open-minded enough to make a trade for a player like this? Now, if they would, they need to get something valuable back. And I'm not going to give one of these corny WFAN trades where I say, I want to get something good for the New York Mets, and in exchange, I'm giving up a handful of what I don't need. The Mets' number one overall prospect is shortstop Andres Jimenez. And he is there, probably blocked, if Ahmed Rosario as a shortstop ends up being what he's expected to be. Jimenez was judged and some discussion was made of whether he would be ready to be the opening day shortstop and maybe being a regular for the Mets next year at the position. I think from a defensive standpoint, he is ready. Now He's only 19 years old. He's going to be 20 pretty soon. This is a player that, if Ahmed Rosario had been chipped to the Miami Marlins as part of a package to get JT Realmuto, would have probably been the Mets starting shortstop at some point next year. He's rated as the number one prospect. And the question would be, would the Minnesota Twins be interested in taking on a player like this? He certainly shoots right up the charts when it comes to the Twins' top prospects. And is a guy that is expected or should be expected to be playing baseball at the major league level in 2019. So, if the Twins are interested in that, then you may expand the deal a little further from that. And I think this is what you're going to have to do. Because if you acquire Byron Buxton, there's no reason for you to have Juan Lagares. And to sell Juan Lagares off to another team, you're probably going to have to take on some salary in some way, shape, or form. So here's what I propose. Juan Lagares goes from the Mets to the Twins. But with that, the Mets take back the final year of Addison Reed's contract. So what the Mets end up getting back in this proposed deal is Byron Buxton, a guy with you know, extreme potential to be a five-tool type of player and a guy who's going to definitely play good defense in center field and may be a, a hitter that you could put in the middle of your order as you go down the road. You get another bullpen piece, a guy in Addison Reed who has proven he could play in New York. He spent two of his best seasons 
with the Mets. He goes up, you put him in there with Familia and Edwin Diaz, your bullpen is pretty set, and you free yourself the Juan Lagares contract by taking on Addison Reed's. So Byron Buxton and Addison Reed from the Twins to the Mets in exchange for Andres Jimenez and Juan Lagares. I'll put that up on Twitter. Let me know what you think. This is the famous Budweiser beer. We know of no brand produced by any other brewer that costs so much to brew and age. Our exclusive Beachwood Aging produces a taste, a smoothness, and drinkability. You'll find a no beer at any cost. We're going to get into that time frame where we're going to start to do our NFL picks. So that's coming up. Um, this is the last week, week number 17, when it comes to our NFL picks. So let's get... Let's get the music playing in the background. Really over the last five, six weeks, the PDS picks have kind of kicked in the gear. Some of them have been random. But if I have a little time towards the end of the show, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the lessons that I've learned when it comes to gambling. And this is really being my first year of gambling through an entire football season. So we'll talk about that in a little bit, moving right into the game. And honestly, I wanted to select some games that had playoff implications this year. And the first game I'm going to start out with is the Houston Texans at home against the Jacksonville Jaguars. And what really makes this interesting to me, and what makes it to a point where I really feel like this is going to be an interesting game, is the Houston Texans can do as much as be the number two seed in the AFC. They can do as little as maybe being the number six seed in the AFC. Now, it was great for them. They clinched the playoff spot. This was a team that started out 0-3, and three, ran off eight straight wins, put themselves in the driver's seat. But they're in a very competitive division, a division that really can go any one of a number of different ways. And the one team that's in that division that isn't getting any credit at the moment, probably doesn't deserve any credit, they've had a miserable season. They've done a god-awful job. This is a team that was expected to be a Super Bowl contender this year. And they're sitting here with over 10 losses and one of the worst teams in the entire league. And, of course, I'm talking about the Jacksonville Jaguars. I'm going to tell you this. I believe in the Jaguars this week. Now, you could talk about a scenario where things may just be going to shit. Maybe the organization is on its way through a major shuffle. Maybe there's going to be a firing of the coach. They're obviously going to have to look pretty deeply into what they want to see from the quarterback position next year. Blake Bortles, they signed him to a big extension. He's likely to be cut, but Bortles is back on the field this Sunday. And what's very important about Blake Bortles being on the field this Sunday is the fact that not only is he playing for the Jacksonville Jaguars, but he's playing for his next contract. There are 29 other teams, I'm sorry, 31 other teams out of the 31 teams. There's a handful that are going to be considering anybody as an option to be their quarterback next year. Blake Bortles has got a lot to play for. Now, while I don't think the Jacksonville Jaguars have anything to play for outside of pride and maybe the coach is coaching for his job, because it's amazing you could be that close to getting to the Super Bowl in one year to be right on the borderline of getting fired, which is exactly where Doug Marone is right now. Black Monday coming up. I'm sure you're going to see a cavalcade of coaching changes 
in the National Football League. Give me Jacksonville because of Blake Bortles. Plus six and a half at Houston for the upset. Next game I want to talk about, the Philadelphia Eagles are traveling to Washington against the Redskins. And I watched the Redskins pretty intensively last week. They played against the Tennessee Titans. And anybody that's watching that doesn't know, that happens to be the team that I root for in the National Football League. And I saw a lot of heart for them. And I saw a Washington team that, at least for the second straight week, played a very good game. They were solid. They may not be bona fide at the quarterback position. They may be one of the teams that are going to look at, let's say, a Blake Bortles. Alex Smith, the injury that he had, is probably going to put him in a position where he may not be available to start the year next season. So I look at this game, and I think the Redskins, <coughs> finishing off their season, as we get hit with some spam on the old hotline, another PBS classic, I'm looking at Washington, and I don't think that they have a whole lot to offer. I think they played their hearts out over the last couple weeks. They put themselves in a great position to win both of those games. They won the first one in an upset, almost beat the Tennessee Titans, probably very well could have last week. I don't think they have anything left. The Eagles with Nick Foles look like a, a new team. And I think the Eagles will go out there and win this game convincingly. So give me the Eagles minus 6.5 at Washington against the Redskins. Game number three. And I tell you, as this season has gone on, I've become a fan of a couple different things. And one of them has been Baker Mayfield. And I look at Baker Mayfield, and I don't really agree with the way he handled the game against the Cincinnati Bengals, where he refused to shake the hands of Hugh Jackson. He's, he says it was all about competitive fire. You know, that's the way he plays the game. He lets it all out there. He's emotional. Okay, I'm willing to let that pass. Because Baker Mayfield has played well this year. Baker Mayfield has taken over to Cleveland Browns and has turned them into a legitimate team. And obviously people are going to gravitate towards their sleeper pick next year. And they're going to jump on the Cleveland Browns bandwagon. And I think this Cleveland Browns bandwagon is going to roll right through the city of Baltimore and put a damper on the playoff hopes of the Baltimore Ravens. Give me Cleveland. Plus five and a half at Baltimore against the Ravens. Which, by the way, if the Cleveland Browns win, they'll have a winning record for the year. Next game. The Chicago Bears heading to Minnesota uh, to face the Vikings. Now, the Vikings, obviously, this game means the world to them. The game also means something to the Chicago Bears. Bears are in a spot where they could secure the number two seed and a first round bye in the NFC playoff picture. The Minnesota Vikings obviously know that they're in a rough spot. If they lose, their season is probably over. And you look at the Eagles playing the Washington Redskins. Obviously, it looks like the Eagles are in a better position to win than the Minnesota Vikings are. That being said, I don't know how seriously the Chicago Bears are going to take this game. Let's say the Vikings go out there and it's 10-0 or 14-0 after the first quarter. I think the Bears could take a step back, decide to rest their regulars, and not risk anybody getting hurt as they get ready for their first playoff appearance in a series of years. So because of that and because of how much this game means to the Minnesota Vikings, I'm taking the Vikings minus four and a half at home against the Chicago Bears.
last game, I gotta pick the Sunday night game because it's gonna be the most intriguing game of the week. One in which I could really see go both ways. The Tennessee Titans at home, where they've played very well this year against the Indianapolis Colts. The Colts were in a position where it looked like their season was not going anywhere. Andrew Luck, the offensive line, they play great football. Even their defense has done a pretty good job this year. Marcus Mariota, is he going to play? Is he not going to play? Obviously, if Mariota's not playing, it doesn't look good for the Titans. But, like I said on my previous show and other shows, is Marcus Mariota at however percent better than Blaine Gabbard at 100%? That's something that the Tennessee Titans have to evaluate. So, I'm believing, because Marcus Mariota practiced on Thursday, I think he is progressing to a point where he should be able to play. And I think he does give the Tennessee Titans a better chance to beat the Indianapolis Colts than Blaine Gabbert. The Titans have an earlier loss where, like I said earlier, the Colts wiped their ass with the Titans in Indianapolis. So I think there's a revenge factor. And there's something about that home field environment that brings out the best in the Tennessee Titans. And I'm getting three and a half points. Give me Tennessee plus three and a half at home against Indianapolis. Last week in the PBS picks, week 17, Jacksonville plus six and a half at Houston. Philadelphia minus six and a half at Washington. Cleveland plus five and a half at Baltimore. Minnesota minus four and a half at home against the Chicago Bears. And Tennessee plus three and a half at home against the Indianapolis Colts. So I did want to do a little bit of a recap of this season in the National Football League. And I'm doing it from a gambling and betting perspective. Because this was the first year that I took my money and put it down on regular season games in the National Football League every single week. And I thought, hey, there's nothing to it. It's just some chump change. It wasn't going high stakes. A couple weeks I came out ahead. A couple weeks I didn't. I didn't. Didn't spend a considerable amount of money this year gambling. It turned out to be almost a wash. Maybe I won a little bit. Maybe I lost a little bit. But I didn't think that I'd get to this point and say, hey, here are the couple lessons that I learned from my first year of competitive gambling. I've gambled for years in fantasy sports. Years heading to Las Vegas doing some futures and stuff like that. But... There's a couple things about betting on the NFL that kind of stood out to me. The point spreads, number one, which I mentioned on this show before, for the most part seem to be so spot on. And that's something that almost frustrates you because you get lured in a lot to the unbelievable expectations that a certain team is supposed to win. And uh, Pedram contributes to the show. Big Bears fan, obviously. Listen, I got nothing against the Bears, by the way. Let me make something clear about my NFL picks. I'm talking about an individual week. And I'm talking about my money that I'm putting down and the point spread. That, to me, is a lot more than what I think about each individual team. The Bears, very well, could have a nice run in the postseason. Their defense is fantastic. It's the best in the NFL. So I'm not knocking the Bears at all when I'm doing my NFL picks here. I'm looking at how much this game means to Minnesota, and I'm talking about my bet that I'm putting down on the game. So if, if I think that the 
there's a better chance that the Minnesota Vikings will win by five or four points. I'm leaning towards five points because that's what I'm putting my money on. And lastly, the Bears have been an extremely impressive story this year. And honestly, if you look at the NFC, what do you really look at? Do you look at the Rams? Do you look at the Saints? Are you really that scared of either one of those teams? Because I've seen both of those teams in a big spot on nationally televised games this year and in the playoffs last year come up small. So if I was a Bears fan and if I was the Chicago Bears, I'd look at the NFC this year being my best path to get to the Super Bowl. And I'd say, let's do it this year. So I'm actually looking at the Bears as a team that I think can get to the Super Bowl. Moving on. So we're talking about lessons that we learned from gambling this year. Point spreads. They're spot on. And it's amazing that I would say that point spreads are spot on to a point that they almost lure you in. You're looking at a six and a half point spread, let's say it's Broncos, Ravens, and you feel that the Broncos are getting dismissed. The Broncos aren't getting enough credit, and you bet on the Broncos. And then the Ravens end up winning by seven or more. It's almost like when it comes to the betting lines, and you know the betting lines are controlled one way or the other as a pendulum by the betters. If it starts out at two, a bunch of people bet one side, it's going to go either closer to zero or closer to three or four. So the betters are actually controlling the lines as they're set up. Now, the betters a lot of times are lured in and end up losing their money. And that's what happened a lot this year. If I said there was one thing that hurt me the most, those games that I thought the lines were wrong on were really right, and I probably should have stayed away from them. Number two, the next lesson that I learned from gambling this year is that any bet, regardless of what the point spread is, is 50-50. And even if you're taking the team straight up, if you're involved in one of those office pools at work where somebody has printed out the games and you're just circling who the winner is going to be and there's no point spread involved, each game, regardless of what the point spread is, regardless of how better one team on paper seems to be than the other team, it's still 50-50. And if it isn't, it's not swayed that much in either direction. One team can go out there and get off to a good performance. Remember that large spread with the Vikings and the Buffalo Bills? It was what, like 13? Bills won that game outright. So those are a couple of major lessons I've learned on gambling this year. A little recap of the past fall show today brought to you by JohnPLA.com as well as St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey. Always happy to be with you. Um, thank you for everybody for tuning in and the contributions to the show. I love when, when people comment. I get a chance to kind of uh, defend my points but most importantly, to interact with you, my audience. I wanted to spend a couple minutes talking about something that has nothing to do with sports, but before that, I'm going to give you a little recap of the show. Young quarterbacks, especially when it comes to local teams, Giants, Jets, Eagles, there's this thought that you've seen whatever you're going to see out of your starting quarterback. 
And whether it's Eli Manning with the Giants, whether it's last year it was Josh McCown with the Jets, whether it was Eli Manning with the Giants last year, and there's this young guy who has never played before, you want to see as a fan, you want to see as a person that's following from the media, you want to see as a person that's covering the team on the beat what this young guy can do. Yet we're neglecting to try to judge and give the team that has the rights to the player, that sees the player every single day, and knows exactly what this player is about, the benefit of the doubt in judging said player. And it happened last year. Davis Webb, all you heard is people crying that Davis Webb didn't get a chance to play. Davis Webb didn't get a chance to play. What if the Giants, from their own opinion, from the assessment and watching of this player, saw that this player was no good? you got to trust that they thought that way. you got to trust that the New York Jets thought that way a couple years ago when it came to Christian Hackenberg. Why was he not on the field last year or the year before? Because the Jets judged that he wasn't good enough to be on the field. It wasn't worthy of them seeing what he could do on a football field in a game that mattered because he sucked in practice. And I bet you Christian Hackenberg sucked in practice. And I'll bet you that Davis Webb sucked in practice. And I'll bet you this year during the course of the pro football season that Kyle Loletta sucked in practice. So why do you feel the need to see somebody that the team that owns the rights to the player don't even want to see? Harper Machado in baseball. Harper was never going to the Mets. Any Mets fans that feel like they're owed any sort of rep uh, apology for him not signing with the Mets, he's going to sign with some other team other than the New York Mets, need to get your head examined. When it comes to Manny Machado, I hope from a baseball stance and a baseball point, my respect for baseball, baseball players, baseball players, agents, and teams, and a game growing from years to come, I hope he doesn't accept the ridiculously lower term and worthwhile contract than what he really deserves. NFL picks are up on JohnPielli.com. A couple lessons that we learned from gambling this year as we finish the year of regular season sports betting when it comes to the National Football League. Last point I'm going to make, and I'll make this pretty brief, comes from the word confrontation, and I put that as one of the titles of the show, and you know, as we move into the world of nobody's listening, which we obviously know, we're, we're getting to the point, end of the program, if you listened from the beginning, you probably turned it off by now, if you're tuning in, you tune in at just the wrong time, because I'm going to talk about confrontation, and confrontation as it's set out to be such a macho thing, and such a tough person thing, that if you go out of your way, to be tough and have enemies and fight enemies and make it about you being so much more dominant, does that really make you a higher ranked person? And you find that people that have issues with others that are always talking about how this person doesn't like them, that person doesn't like them. It's their choice in their way that they decide to handle themselves. They decide to be confrontational as opposed to diffuse. And we look at diffusing a situation as if it's some sort of weakness. But is it really? 
there's times to defend yourself. If somebody is attacking you, whether it's physically or verbally, defend yourself. But when you go out of your way to make yourself about those that you don't like and those that don't like you, certainly doesn't make you a very positive person. Certainly doesn't make you the type of person that I want to be around. So just consider that when it comes to confrontation. Sometimes it is better to defuse unless you're in a situation where you're absolutely defending yourself. So I hope everybody enjoys their New Year's Eve, the New Year's coming up, because I don't think we're going to do a show. We may do a show New Year's Day. We'll see how it works out. Remember last year there was that uh, shooting in Long Branch, which kind of inspired me to want to do a show New Year's Day. It's amazing that a year has gone by since then, since we rebooted the Passball Show and have been going on a couple times a week. You know, it's been well over a year. So I do thank everybody for tuning in. It's been a great year for the Passball Show. As we go into 2019, there's going to be some more guests we're going to bring in. We're going to talk about a lot of stuff going on in the world of baseball sports and unifying America. I put my article together. I'm actually having it edited when it comes to black managers. I put up, I brought a lot of interesting things and caveats in regards to that. And still think it's amazing that out of the 30 MLB teams, one third of them, 10, have still never had a black manager. We're going to talk about that after the new year as well. So I do, as always, want to thank everybody for tuning in. God bless you. Happy New Year. And as always, I'll see you on the other side.